if you are a senior or executive job seeker and you didn't get the job offer, then let's find out why. Let's go straight to the C-suite hiring manager and ask them, what is it that they're really looking for when they're hiring a senior person just like you? Can't wait to find out what they've got to say. Um, for those of you who don't know you, um, can you uh, just give us a quick intro, just so people know who it is that uh, is going to be talking with them today? Yeah, uh, no problem. Thanks for that, Johnny. So, yes, my name is Matthew Booth. I'm a senior procurement leader, and I help CEOs or, or CPOs or even CFOs, um, so senior level people in organizations, um, predominantly in, in health, nutrition, which includes pharmaceuticals, of course, um, those kind of businesses to reduce their supply chain interruption risk. Uh -huh. I've demonstrated that by having an achievement uh, which includes four and a half years without a day of uh, production interruption. Wow. That came in an environment with 400 raw materials, 650 million euros of spend, and working with close to a thousand suppliers. Let me just count that up. Hold on a second. 365 days a year, fours, 12, um, 24, 1400. So over 1500 days spending over 600 million euros and there wasn't a single day with an interruption from the supply chain. That's pretty strong going. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty proud of that achievement, I have to say. Cool. Uh, so when you consider the geographical spread of, of that kind of stuff. And I did that by, by leading and developing uh, high-performance sourcing capabilities um, across a, a raft of different roles. All right. So your world is not a world I, I know well. Um, the procurement world, the sourcing world, the buying world, that that sort of supplier contracts world. So just briefly, but you know, like I'm a nine-year-old, just tell me what that means. Yeah. So I think I would start by using an expression shit happens and it happens in life and it happens in business yeah and what i've always done with my team is is look at ways of mitigating that taking taking some of that off the pile so it it, it doesn't come in and hit you um and you do that by thorough preparation everything about procurement is preparation you prepare for, an, for a negotiation, you prepare for meetings with your internal stakeholders by um, demonstrating to them that you know what you're talking about. And when it comes to risk mitigation, there's a whole raft of things you can do. And for me, that's using a diverse range of tools that I have at my disposal, including contracting spend, encouraging suppliers to keep inventory for you, uh, insisting that your suppliers keep inventory of their raw materials, um, knowing the market you operate in, where are the weak spots, um, building strong relationships with your suppliers. We're going to come on to that in a second because I know that's something that um, surprised me when it talks about what the difference is between a good and, and an average category manager. But um, before that, I want to talk about what kind of people work for you. Um, biggest risk in supply chain recently Japanese tanker couldn't steer straight in the Suez Canal, blocked the whole thing up. Um, 
they got away with that, didn't they? $400 million, that is not a lot of money for holding up a global supply chain for a couple of weeks. Uh, extraordinarily cheap screw-up. So listen, um, okay, so you're you know, head of procurement, head of sourcing, you're the, the Grand Fromage. Uh, so who works for you? What kind of job titles report into you? Yeah, so generally speaking, there would be kind of four roles, starting the most junior would be a sourcing analyst. Mm -hmm. A sourcing analyst is providing market analysis and supporting the search for new suppliers, helping you with reports and things like that. Cool. Uh, next on the list, we would have a contract manager. Yep. Contract manager is, is as it would uh, indicate, looking after the contracting process. Mm -hmm. uh, so highlighting to the category managers where contracts are expiring, updating clauses, making sure that yeah. new regulatory changes are included and these kind of things. Which I imagine um, is fairly frequent if you're in the pharmaceutical industry, but that's a pretty highly regulated industry. Yeah, extremely highly regulated. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that you you could do in a, in a chemical business or a, a, some other form of manufacturing you simply can't do in pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Um, let me give you an example. Mm. So today I'm buying raw material A, and I've always bought raw material A, and now I want to buy raw material A, but I want to buy it from a different supplier. Right. If you're manufacturing toy cars, that's easy. Just go ahead and do it. Um, but if you're in the world of pharmaceuticals, often when you create your um, certification of pharmacopliance, you have to list, I'm going to buy material A from supplier number one. And if you haven't listed supplier number two, this new supplier, then you have to resubmit your whole application yeah. process again it gets very expensive yeah yeah i mean that's quality control um and i get that um because you know i'm gonna have to ingest the end product um yeah. but uh from a procurement perspective you've got to think ahead a lot haven't you um, yeah you, you do and you have to you have to work with those stakeholders in the very early stages of development to convince them hey let's not go and register a single source let's register multiple sources we might not use them but let's get them in the yeah in the uh, let's get them registered and, and see how it goes. So contracts managers, who else we got? Yeah. Uh, next on the list would be a category manager. Uh -huh. Category manager is responsible for a category of materials. So right. you might um, group things together, like solvents, for example. Yeah. Um, there are multiple solvents. There are multiple acids. There's multiple mobile communication devices. Whatever it is, you group it together, it makes yeah. sense. Maybe it's the same suppliers, and you can start to leverage that spend. Yeah, a bit of subject matter expertise. Um, by the way, if you're um, watching right now, we're with Matthew Booth. He's uh, head of procurement, and he's walking through what a uh, head of procurement looks for when he's hiring people, which is talking about what kind of people you might hire. But also, this could be useful if you're selling to large organizations where procurement's part of the stakeholder team, and you want to know what kind of um, insight you've got into the, the people that are, are working on that team. And if you've got any questions, then fire them at us, please, on the comments. Uh, anybody else working for you, Matthew? Yeah, lastly, I, I would, and it's not every time, generally you have your category manager and, and maybe you have a senior category manager or a category director. Um, but from time to time, depending on the setup of your organization, you might have a lead buyer. And a lead buyer might buy a product 
across different business groups. Yeah. So you have a category manager for fuel, let's say, mm -hmm. in business group A, business group B, and business group C. And then you have a lead buyer who takes overall responsibility um, yeah. on, on behalf of the group. Cool. So here we go. Sourcing analysts and contracts managers and category managers and lead buyers. Great. There's the procurement team. Um, you've got to hire one of these people. What's the difference between a good one and an average one? Yeah, and I think this is where you were quite surprised by my answer when we had this conversation previously. Because it really was. Hmm, it, it, it is partly about what's your skill set. But I've employed people in procurement who have zero experience in that profession. But they come in with the right attitude um, and they come in with the right mindset. And, and for me, um, the difference is all about an individual's ability to build relationships. Relationships are key right across the sphere of influence, whether it be a production manager uh, who you need to work closely with to understand what is it they need, because they will often tell you what they want. And yeah, I want to drive a Rolls Royce, but what do I need? I need an old jalopy that will get me down the road and back. Um, and if you're not careful, you you over-specify what it is that you really need. And it's very important to build that close relationship to be able to understand that. And it, that happens with quality, with regulatory, and with, of course, the suppliers themselves. Relationships, building trust is the biggest asset you can have in procurement. See, cynically, I think, you know, and obviously I don't know your world, so I am being very glib here right now, but, you know, basically procurement appeared to be about buying things cheaper and saying no a lot. Um, whereas actually you just told me it's got nothing to do with that. It's, it's, it's all about actually building relationships, particularly, um, uh, you know, you talked about your four and a half year track record with zero interruptions across an enormous supply chain globally and a massive spend. Um, that isn't going to happen by having good admin. That, that, that comes from relationships. That's the biggest asset that you've got in procurement, relationships. Um, isn't that surprising, everyone? If you're a salesperson selling in, you've got a stakeholder team, um, those people are looking for the strongest relationships they can have. And so be someone who is ready for that rather than a competitive experience. Maybe open up a little bit more and try and go at it with a more collaborative and partnership head on. And you might get further with people who are, um, they're not just trying to buy things cheaply, um, but they're trying to make sure that things like four and a half years of uninterrupted supply chain happen, which, you know, that's a, that's a big deal. Uh, what yeah, else? There's an awful lot, there's an awful lot to, to think about. And, of course, a, a CFO might expect that you're going to deliver cost savings. Hmm. And it's part of what we do. Don't get me wrong. Hmm. Um, you are responsible for the purse strings and making sure that we get good value. But good value comes in many forms mm. and um you know i just want to give you a quick example yeah sure uh if i ask someone on the call today can you give me 200 pounds chances of that being successful pretty limited yeah they've no idea who i am they don't know me but if i write to my best friend now and say hey buddy can you give me 200 pounds? Um, the money's gonna be in my account before the end of the day because he trusts me, he knows me, I have that relationship. And 
I think that's really what procurement is about. I, I need something. The supplier needs something. You know, he needs me to buy his product. And I need to buy his product. So you immediately form a bond, a relationship. Yeah. And the more you can turn that into a partnership, the more successful it will be. Okay, so you go looking for, amongst other things, the ability to create relationship in the supply chain, to give it some integrity. Um, uh, you know, you're, you're going to get to the point where you're interviewing somebody, yeah, and they're going to plonk themselves down in front of you. How do you find out who's great and who's not? Yeah, tough one. Um, and, and as you've been alluding to, the, the CV is only one weapon in your arsenal and it's, yeah. it's not designed to get you a job, it's designed to get you an interview. Um, but in the interview, I want to learn about the person and I, I do this in, in two ways really. Um, mm -hmm. Don't tell human resources because they don't always like this, but um, I tell the, the interviewee after I've put them at, at rest, you know, and and try to make it a, a, a nice environment for them. I kind of say to them, okay, sit down, tell me about you, the person that I don't read on your CV. Who is the person behind this document? Yeah. And I'm not interested in, you know, whether they're religious, their sexual preference, how many kids they've got, whether they go out to the pub on a Friday night, but they can tell me anything, you know? Um, you know, personally, I enjoy watching football. I support whole city for my sins. Um, That's I, enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, well, occasionally. <laughs> uh, you know, I enjoy cycling. I'm married. I have a son. He's 25 years old. When somebody can sit across from you, a person they've never met before, and open up and establish that bond of trust, in an interview situation, I find that incredibly powerful tool. And that, that's how I do it. And I've had people who are experienced procurement professionals who just freeze. Huh? Yeah, tell me about yourself. Oh, well, you know, I, I went to this university and I, and I have this. No, I want to learn about you. Uh, oh. Yeah, it, it really is. It's uh, it's quite strange how people freeze. Now, the reason I do that, yeah, you're going to travel around the globe on behalf of your company, and you are the face of your business. And you're going to meet people that you've never met before in your life. And you're going to have to establish a relationship quickly. And if we talk about Asia, for example, it's very common practice when you go to China, India, Singapore, wherever, um, they want to take you out for a lunch or a dinner in the evening and show their hospitality. And you sit in a room on a big banquet table and there might be 10 people who you've never met and you, and everyone's eyes are on you. And if the conversation goes dead, you're kind of blown out of the water. Yeah. So you need to have that propensity to open up and, and to, to ask people questions and to give tidbits of information away about yourself that are seemingly private, but not, not overly so. Just 
so that you can get something back in return. And really importantly, you remember what they tell you back. If, if the owner of a business tells you, oh, yeah, I've got two children and one of them's currently studying in Oxford University, next time you meet them, remember, hey, how is Sally at Oxford University? Did she pass? Has she finished her course? You know, that that's really powerful bonding, really powerful. So on a human level, um, relationships, which means opening up, and if they can't do that at interview, then that's that's you're not a fan. Yeah. Um, and the second thing I would ask for is I want to know what's their vision for procurement in the 21st century. Does wow. it match my vision? Okay. And what a lot of people would say is, well, I think procurement is about saving money. Mm -hmm. And that's my trap because it it really isn't. The correct answer, in my opinion, is it's about bringing value. And value comes in many forms. It can come as a cost reduction or a risk mitigation or an improvement in, a, in an environmental situation. All right. So you talked about your traps that you set for them. Um, what are the kind of tips to avoid in them when you're interviewing the senior team? Let, let's say you're the head of procurement. And I, I, I'm, I'm coming in to be your head of contracts person. Um, and... Uh, you know, I certainly don't want to fall into that trap of just saying, oh, yeah, procurement's about saving money. I'm, I might have a more nuanced view of that if I'm the head of contracts. But what other traps are there and tips for avoiding them that you might better share with me now? I think it's just I want to feel your passion, Johnny. I don't I don't want to feel that you're a robot that's gone on to Google and typed in, you know, what, what does a procurement manager do? Um, I I want to feel that you're engaged in the in the profession, that you believe in all the great things that procurement can deliver. We are not a one-trick pony. We do reduce costs. I don't like to say we reduce costs. I like to say we get good value for money. Hmm. But we support the innovation pipeline we support sustainability topics. We su support risk mitigation. Um, we help our colleagues across the business to be able to go about their work. And in my opinion, there is no other function in a business that can deliver as much. And, and I know that's um, that's going to divide opinions. But. <laughs> yeah. Just, you just claimed the prize that marketing, sales, and IT have all put their hands on. So, um, uh, and probably HR with the people. I think you said people are the biggest asset of a business. But um, the, the, you and I were talking about um, raw material acquisition. Um, and I want to sort of jump forward a little bit and talk about that story because um, in this build back better environment that we're in, in this um perhaps a new enlightened world post pandemic um sustainability and um ecological concerns are right at the forefront of everyone's mind and let's face it you can buy things cheaper elsewhere um but i wouldn't want to necessarily be accountable for the places that were manufacturing it because the standards around the world and the environmental impact around the world is you know pretty grim um how do you in procurement get the right stuff without paying a fortune for it so that you know we're not screwing the planet wrong yeah and that's really a balancing act and i think what 
what you've alluded to is what happened already maybe 10 years ago when companies in Europe were looking for a, a quick win, a way to reduce cost. And one way of reducing cost is to procure your goods and services from low-cost countries. Um, and the reason they're low-cost is because they don't have the same regulatory constraints uh, yeah. when it comes to environment. They don't have the same ethical constraints when it comes to either environment or the people that work for them. So the risk incidents are higher because safety is not a priority. Um, environmental incident are higher because they don't have that same value structure. Um, and if you're not spending hundreds of thousands of, of dollars on a scrubber for your uh, gas offtake in a chemical plant, okay, uh, I can produce the chemistry cheaper. But the reality is that I, I, I'm damaging the environment. And believe me, uh, every chemical company in the world has been guilty of moving their uh, purchasing into China to take advantage of these less robust um, yeah. situations. And for me then, the balancing act is, is about making sure that when you're buying a raw material, for whatever, doesn't matter, that environment is a consideration, the people at that site, their working conditions, uh, safety, um, fire tackling situation, everything is yeah. so, so important. So you have to meet your suppliers, you have to audit your suppliers, and you have to understand, perhaps even by interviewing people who work in the factory, hey, how is it to work here? And, and how, you know, how many hours a week do you work? And are you comfortable with the salary that you get? And these, do you get holidays? No, I ask these questions because um, I think it's really important to know. Supplier will tell you, oh, yeah, I pay the highest salary in the region and all my people get four weeks holiday a year. But when you ask them, they get one day off every six months or something. Yeah. Then, you know, I need to do something. And that's not necessarily let's get rid of that supplier, but let's, let's sit down with that supplier and talk about what we expect and you know, generally, big companies these days have a supplier code of conduct. Um, well, let's just talk. You mentioned China, very far away. Um, relationships, um, particularly if you're trying to construct them on a global basis, I'd imagine have quite a high degree of cultural variability, for want of a better phrase. Um, and as you're the head of, um, I imagine you've experienced that. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, when you talk about Far East, um, versus West, culturally very different. It's not. It's not racist. It's a fact. Um, when somebody in India tells you, "Yes, yes, I will deliver that," uh, you should be aware that behind that "yes" is, "Well, yes, I, I want to be able to deliver that. I don't think I can, but it's my intention to try." Hmm. Whereas if you ask somebody perhaps in, in Germany, for example, 
and they say to you, yes, I'm going to deliver that, you know that they're going to deliver. And it's not that the, the person in the East is deliberately trying to fool you. It's their good intention. I yeah. want to do it. Uh, but you have to be aware of this. And cultural differences are really important. And it's something that I've always supported from a from a training perspective. You bring in all your procurement people and you, you bring in an external trainer to to provide as much insight as possible on the difference between uh, Chinese and Japanese and Korean. I mean, you can draw a triangle around it. They're very close. The reality is, culturally, they're very different. I had a guy um, who wanted me to coach him on the program I run. Uh, he was an Aussie guy. And uh, he was working in Scandinavia. And he was struggling at interview. And... Um, he wanted to know whether or not you know I could help him out. So I, I listened to him for 20 minutes, and it turned out that his issues weren't about his job-seeking performance per se. They were cultural, the thing you're just talking about. And at interview, they would ask him, you know, how would he resolve a problem where someone was perhaps underperforming? And you know, in Australia, as it is in several other Western nations around the world, sometimes you just have to shut the door and tear someone off a strip. Um, and you know, he would say that. And in Australia, even on the receiving end of a telling off, they recognise is a credible way of going forward. They're not particularly bothered by it. I've dropped the ball. I had my ass kicked for it. Okay, that's that's normal. Um, whereas in Scandinavia, not so much. You know, that their communication is considerably more nuanced. And I said, you've got a culture fit problem there. You know, they're just they're not going to want to hire someone who, when the ball is dropped, closes the door and gives someone a tremendous bollocking. Um, so. You know, that's the program I run isn't going to solve that problem. I can't make Nordic countries like Australia more or less. This is not going to happen. Um, and no, it's but you can help people by uh, in 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 the way that you do, which is yes, yeah, spend that time with them, understand where they're going wrong, and help them to perhaps um, tailor their behaviour to the culture that they're applying to. Nice. Any final advice or comments for people listening about, you know, well, I might, I want to try and get hired in the procurement space and, um, or, I'll, you know, I might be selling into a space that's got procurement as a, um, as a, as a stakeholder. Yeah. So for me, um, the opportunity to reduce supply chain risk and keep revenues flowing is, is one of the best things that you can do in the world. It's the best job. I love my profession. It has a huge visible impact in an organization um, in, in the way that it re leverages relationships. And let's be honest, Johnny, who, who doesn't want to get paid to make friends and work with people, um, you know, especially when they're taking you out for a nice dinner somewhere? It, it is a wonderful job. Um, anyone who's thinking about going into procurement, I, I would say... Do it if you have the passion to make a difference. Procurement makes a difference every day in more ways than you can imagine. And one of those ways involves something that I actually have a box of it on my desk right now. Um, vitamin D3, uh, which the, uh, the the medical establishment are very keen on us all taking. Apparently, it's um, one of the things you can do to that contribute. Oh, by the way, I'm not a medical professional, so do not take vitamin D3 just because I tell you to do so, right? Um, but vitamin D3 is one of those, so it's like the sunshine vitamin, isn't it? It's what you get from, the, um, from being out in the sun. Um, and it also appears to be one of the things that contributes to preventing from 
COVID from impacting you too greatly. And once again, massive disclaimer, I'm not a medical professional. Um, but I know that um, I've got a box on my desk and you had a really interesting story about um, this. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Johnny. Um, I do. And, you know, it is an incredibly interesting vitamin or vitamin, depending on yeah. which side of the pond you're on. Um, so you are a factory for vitamin D3. Okay. Don't worry about that. You go outside in the sun and the sun will penetrate your skin and through the veins and capillaries that are, are in your uh, body, the UV rays of the sun will convert cholesterol that's running through your body uh, into vitamin D3. Cool. Now imagine that we can replicate that. What do we need? We need cholesterol, the stuff that's in your body that we're going to convert, and we need UV. And that's how they make it. The tablets you have on your desk, they're not, they're not taking it out of another person and giving it to you. They're making it synthetically, but by copying nature. And maybe some people on the call will know the company Beiersdorf. Beiersdorf are producing um, skin creams like uh, Nivea. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Beiersdorf many years ago went to Australia on a holiday when, when you would spend eight weeks on a ship to get mm -hmm. there, kind of all that time ago. And he'd gone out for a little walk and he stumbled across a, a, a guy on the side of the road who was cutting the wool on the back of a sheep. And he was ch chatting to him and he said, oh, how often do you do that? And what do you do with the wool and, and blah, blah, blah. And they had a quite a nice conversation. And at the end of, end of it, he shook his hand. It was prior to COVID, of course. He shook his hand and he said, wow, for a guy that works outside in the field all day, with these big clippers, yeah. manual labor, you have incredibly soft hands. And the guy said, well, yeah, it comes from the grease that's on the wall. Yeah. So Mr. Beiersdorf said, would you mind selling me one of those fleeces? And he wrapped it up and he put it on the airplane, stunk quite a bit, I can imagine, and got it back to Germany and started to look at this grease and the properties of this grease. And when you clean that grease up a little bit, it's called lanolin. Yeah. And 8% of lanolin is cholesterol. And that's where the cholesterol comes from. Sheep's wow, how about that? It's cleaned many, many times. Don't worry about that. It's vegetarian. Procurement, the journey from you know procurement through sheep's lanolin to cholesterol to vitamin D3 in a pill. I mean, that's not about just getting buying things cheaper, is it? That's that's a that's a lovely story. Um, that's it, everyone. Um, on screen, you'll see a link to connect with Matthew on LinkedIn if you want to do that, linkedin.com slash n slash Matthew Booth, which is Matthew's name. So massive, massive thank you to Matthew for sharing what the world looks like from the um, head of procurement's perspective. Um, if you've enjoyed um, either this or the first half of the show where I talked about things you can do with CVs, then do a quick post on LinkedIn. Uh, just saw hashtag execedge show. 
uh, with at Johnny Walker and at Matthew Booth, and then add your comment about what you thought about either what I was talking about with CVs or what Matthew's talking about for procurement. Um, and you'll get two benefits to that. One is you'll be helping out um, fellow job seekers. Um, and secondly, we will put the replay link to this show as a comment on your post, which immediately alerts our network um, that we've commented on your post. A couple of people last year actually got their ideal job just as a result of my network looking at your post. So a little bit, in it, a little bit of something in it for you as well. Um, thank you very much, Matthew. Thank you. And I look forward to seeing you all next week, Thursday, 12.30, more of the same. Take care. Bye-bye.